Welcome to the Lit Podcast, presented by Culturally Lit. Culturally Lit is an organization created to amplify and cultivate awareness of the arts of the African diaspora. The Lit Podcast will feature artists and arts programming that enhance the significance of the culture for everyone. Listen and be enlightened. The Lit Podcast is produced by Baobab Tree Studios. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lit Fest podcast. I'm Ife Michelle Gardeen, founder of Elm City Lit Fest and Culturally Lit. All things arts and literary of the African diaspora. Today, my guest is Odell, Reverend Dr. Odell Montgomery Cooper. Is And she's a founder and president of Interruptions Disrupting the Silence IDS LLC has a bachelor's degree from Howard and master's from Hartford Seminary, a certified life coach, apprentice, trauma facilitator, and podcaster, where she discusses topics around emotional wellness, resilience, and resiliency. Okay, resilience. <laughs> good, good morning, Ife. How are good you? Good morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going right into it. Good morning. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I know you. Thank you for having me here this morning. It's a pleasure to be with you in this space. And to be I, your guest, I appreciate you coming through. Like Odell, I'm this. So, I when I first got the book from you in the summertime, I believe a few October, months, October in October. Okay, yes. And I was so honored to get her signed copy, and I started reading it and thought about the journey of so like. People think they're alone in their journeys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes, yes I did. Ha- Ooh. And then things happen. But let me get to the beginning. Like, I, the, the opening is from Jonathan Berryman, our good friend. Yes. Um, who convinced you to make it art. But the to me, the book read like a journal. So how did you enter into beginning to even get this out? I was never any of my intentions to write a book. Uh, I was just at, as the story says, I was at a cookout, met John, ran into Jonathan Berryman again, very good friend of the family. And was, he asked me, how was I doing? And, you know, it's always people ask you that question, but you just like, okay, what answer do you want? Do you want the cliche answer or do you want the truth? And he says, I want the truth. And as I begin to tell my story, he says, you have to tell this story in the arts because so many people need to hear it. And I had been told that before, but dismissed it because I was deep in my pain and going through my healing. Mm -hmm. And this time, something Jonathan said resonated with me. And I did not leave the place where we were. I was at Ed Joyner's cookout down the street and um, we started making phone calls to to make the production happen. And then as we're working on the production, he said, you've got to write a book. And I'm like, Jonathan, I could barely read and write to write a book. I'm, I'm not an author. This is not what I do. You know, I'm just getting through this playwright. And I had help with putting together a timeline of stories of my life because of the brain aneurysm, I couldn't remember a lot. A lot of my memory was damaged. 
So I had to literally put together a timeline from birth to, 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 to date and then key stories that I wanted to tell. I knew it wasn't a biography. I'm not Oprah. You don't want to know my life. <laughs> and a lot of people are still alive, so you can't talk about them. So I had help putting together a timeline of what stories I want to tell were interruptions. And that's how the writing began. And it was challenging because I couldn't, you know, some people, as I've been to your Lit Fest, they sit down and they start writing for hours and they just start typing, 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 and they have the space. And this was not me. I didn't have a, 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 a practice or what worked best for me. I just did the best that I could and relied on God and didn't realize that I was doing it through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, you can tell all through, all through it. Um, and interruptions, the title. How did yeah. that? That that title, um, as the team was working on the production, um, I said, "Well, what do you call it?" You know, like, ah, eh, we don't give it a name. Alita Stanton, Jonathan Berryman, and the in the director, um, Reverend. Mm, Reverend Lisa Anderson said she's a newbie. She doesn't know how to do this. So the title doesn't come until afterwards. You know, it's inspired. So it comes after you write it and you see it. So, okay. But as I was teaching a class at University of Bridgeport, and I'm trying to teach the students the pursuit of happiness, mm. and I was following behind a professional who was a clinician, a PhD. She was a doctor. I was not. So I'm trying to teach this my way. And then I looked at the class and I said, I want to be able to help you to understand how to get through. And I was looking for the word, looking for the word and interruption just came out. Yes how to deal with an interruption when life happens because you have what it takes to overcome. And that's how the name gave birth to the production. And then when I submitted from my first grant, um, um, it a grant funder said they were struggling with trying to figure out what is this? You know, what is she asking money for? What is she doing? And Bill said, ha, She's disrupting the silence. That's what she's doing. He labeled it and I stuck it on the title, subtitle, and that's how the name came to be because that's what I'm doing. And, and it's a, it, it's a, the series of stories um, that are in here. Cause like go, even going through it, this like resiliency, the yes. res of humankind. And also again, as I repeat myself, as I yes. do. Um, <laughs> understanding or ha having folks around you that help, yes, that are in being open to receiving it, yes. Oh my gosh, how has I'm I'm gonna really speak to in this time the, not only the book but the the not only not I'm not saying not only but the trauma like I mm -hmm. like so many levels for your whole family, your daughter, your granddaughter. Friends, yes. Friends. When um, when my doctor said to reinvent myself, said that, you know, when you introduced me, 
I have a bachelor's from Howard University, a master's from Hartford Seminary. I have years of professional experience. People who are watching your podcast says, I know her. She was never in the mental health field. She was in the human development field. You know, she was in culinary. I knew her. People still saw me because they knew that where I worked. And are you still there? What are you doing? So, so yes. So the trauma, the interruptions, and how do you begin to tell the story? When my doctor said reinvent yourself, I knew that I wanted to help others. And how do I help others? And my daughter said, you're not telling the story without me. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> She's like, it's part of my. Yes. So I had to, and then my son's best friend said, I will include my voice. And then my granddaughter's story of the impact of not even realizing she was in the room and just hear the impact that trauma had on her vicariously and how she picked up on the stress of the of our behaviors and the, our wordings and people are here and now they're gone. You know, my son was here and the next day he's gone. Then I have a brain aneurysm, I'm here and then I'm gone. So to her, her life at the age of four, what's happening? What's people I love are here, they're gone. You know, where are they? What's what's going on? So I wanted to make sure that I told the story across cross generations and gender because we all deal with it differently. And that was the most important piece to tell. God said, I didn't save you to go watch Andy Griffin every morning to go rent a house in Florida and just sit in the sunshine. You have work to do. And the work that I'm doing is this is a new space for me. So I am telling my story, being very transparent, which is very difficult, but transparent and honest to help people to use my story, look at my behaviors, look at what we did that are not uncommon to any other household. But for me, it was very, un I'm, I didn't know what I was going through was going to be this impactful on people's lives. I wanted it to be but I didn't know that this was what God had planned. And um, and I have to say too, there are so many mothers, black mothers that have experienced a loss of a child through gun violence. And it, it there, they, you know, you have to grieve, but you're also the mother. Yes. And, and as and you are also a pastor, and a reverend, a, not a pastor, a reverend. A reverend. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's okay. <laughs> um, and 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 taking well, taking care of the flock, or yes, putting a flock, and then having to flip it to take care of yourself. How how have other mothers of of that have been traumatized because I'm sure somebody has reached out. Oh, yes. This book has been some kind of solace for them. It is. It We've been having um, book talks, as we're calling them. Um, churches have, pastors, pastors have asked for support because the weight of trauma and the people coming back into the congregations now that their doors are opening and the weight of trauma and discussion so our culture 
our patterns have been, let's go talk to our pastor and they can't handle it. And that's not what they went to school for. They're not, that's not, you know, they'll pray for you, but that's not their role. And it's been too heavy for them. So having the, and they're asking for help. So the book talk, the let's talk has been a welcome support for for congregations of faith and not just Christian faith because people of all faith are going through this. And to have these conversations about trauma and how we're feeling and not dismiss our feelings. And it was challenging for me because being a reverend, I had ex people had people had expectations of me. What do you mean you're still crying after a month? What do you mean it's a whole year and you're still sad and you're still not having a good day? So people put the burden on me, the expectation of me to be Reverend Odell, not Mother Odell, and a human. And I dismissed it. It's like, let me grieve. And this grief was very different than any grief that I've ever experienced before. I mean, I've buried both my parents, my grandmother. I have had close friends pass. But what I was feeling was not grief. And I tried to tell people, I'm sick. But I didn't have the language to explain what was going on. Well, what's the matter? You got a headache? You got a cold? No, it was something on the inside, Ife, that felt heavy. And I had never felt it before. And it wasn't until I finally decided to seek professional help that the psych, my trauma specialist was able to give me the medical language that to attach to my everyday behaviors that was going on to help me to understand that it was trauma. Not I'm moody, I'm sometimey, I keep crying, I can't sleep, I'm not she gave me the medical terminology and that's what our culture miss. Some people in our culture, that's what we miss. And that's what the interruption story is about. Here's the medical language. We're not sometimey. We're not on that time of the month. We're not moody. <laughs> We're not going through menopause. Nope. We may be going through all those things, but what's really happening to us now is trauma and trauma has a different impact and effect on us that people don't see. And for, and again, like, because I I have a good friend, um, Marlene Miller Pratt, who also lost her yes. son years ago to gun violence. Yes. And a child losing, like that can never go away. And and yes. we're in a, we are now coming, we're, uh, our culture and our African-American culture, we're getting better about therapy now. Because like, right. <laughs> after COVID, people are really trying yes. to work through. But in the past, like there's so many mothers that like had to keep going or like there's there's no grief. I, I guess they, they have a grief period that people can yes. take time off from work. But that, that the two weeks isn't enough. No, no. Two weeks is and it's not even. Well, it's not. It's not. It's not that. It's it's cultural. cultural. It's cultural. It's educational, because another culture, another profession, 
They don't need the two weeks. They got a husband that can say, okay, stay home, baby. I got you. <laughs> or you take a leave of absence from your career. I, I couldn't, that could not happen for me. I could not afford to take a leave of absence. I didn't even know I needed a leave of absence. To me, it was the culture says my family told me, go back to work. Keep going. Keep moving. Go back to work. You'll be okay. Stay busy. And you know, one of the things as I as I tell, as I talk about with folks, is a lot of people at first, when I started having these conversations, Ife, women would be in the room and would be going through an interruption of their own, a divorce, a new baby, a grandchild, their relatives moving in with them during the pandemic or moving. I mean, any type of interruption, good, bad, or indifferent, but they wouldn't listen to me because I heard them say, I didn't lose a son to gun violence, so this doesn't apply to me. That is why I had to shift and to say, let's talk about life interruptions. Let's talk about the fact that we're in a pandemic. Let's talk about the fact that we're alcoholics, we're abused, our children are drug addicts, they're selling drugs on the streets and you can't stop them from selling drugs. Let's talk about the, the fact, fact that, that there. the fact that let's talk about the fact that you just got married, you got to change your name, and now you have in-laws and you have stepchildren. Interruptions are not just bad; they're good interruptions, but it causes us a shift. And I, I know friends, and so do you, who've gotten married and the at a later age, and now they're stepmothers. And the step, you know, stepmothers to babies, and it's like, ah, <laughs> this is this is not what I want. Or their step stepmothers or stepfathers to a teenagers who don't like them, and they're providing for them, and you want to come home and disrespect me. So there are interruptions all over, and you know about church interruptions is when our pastor who we've had for the last 20 something years leaves and moves on interruption. Listen, and, and we are traditionally people who hold it in. That's why yes. um, the, you know, when I hear that term, um, what is it? Generational trauma. Yes. Trauma coming through. Um, just cause I, I, I personally, I've experienced an interruption, um, over this past summer with my own child and becoming um, some, our, our relationship and affecting our relationship and, and, and reading some of this, I was like, oh yeah. Cause I've been in prior to it. I, even though in periods of time in my life, I would jump on some therapy, yeah. you know, and not tell anybody. Cause I don't want nobody to think I'm crazy. <laughs> but that's our, that's the myth that we have. If we talk to somebody, we're crazy. That's the culture that we've been told. Keep it to yourself. You don't tell anyone. And that's exactly what I was doing until I couldn't do it any longer, Ife, because I was drowning. I was drowning and the pain wasn't going away. And I didn't voluntarily seek a counselor. Someone found her for me, scheduled the appointment, and made the appointment. Um, when I was doing 
uh, group studies, not group studies. I was doing case, you know, I was doing groups and trying to figure out how to how to have this conversation. There was a my cousin was in the room and he said, who told you to go to counseling? He said, I've known you all your life. We don't go to counseling. Who told you that? Wow. And he's a black man, but he's, he's telling the truth. Yeah. Who told you to go to counseling? But it was a great question. Mm-hmm. And I and the white woman that was in the room, she said that was me. <laughs> I told her to go to counseling because I saw the behaviors, and she knew that it wasn't grief. She knew it was PTSD. Um, yes. Well, one of the things um, you said, your your cousin said, yeah. we don't go to count. Like that is so prevalent. Yes. Amongst us, we don't. We go to church and tell pray our pastor. Away, <laughs> tell our pastor who got to, and then don't realize they are the pastor's wife or whoever. Everybody, a deacon, but pastors carry a lot of weight. Yes, they do. And and people don't realize when they're just that person. Sometimes, like you said, they can pray for you, but the capacity sometimes is greater. And I feel like even some pastors don't even realize that. Yes. Well, they realized it now. It's <laughs> a pandemic and they're asking for help. So, you know, you talked about the workbook. Yes. The workbook, the let's talk is to have these discussions so that we don't think our pastor is our medical doctor and they are not because still, you know, most churches most pastors, I can't just say churches, most institutions of faith are saying, pray more. You're not tithing. Um, you don't have enough faith. Something must be wrong. Must be something that you're not doing. You know, must be some demonic spirit that's over you. Let's just come and we'll put oil on you and heal. You can't. You can't. Some things we've had this conversation are demonic, but I don't go in that space. I don't want to talk about it because that's not my space, but I will. I talk about my lived experience and my lived experience was not demonic. My lived experience was I needed professional help. I needed a counselor and I needed to take medication. And we're frowned. My my mother clearly told me, you don't take medic. Don't let a doctor give you medication They'll keep you pumped up on drugs the rest of your life, and you'll just be some guinea pig. And in that generational stuff that yes. we we heard, um, because again, me being transparent, um, live with a mother that I didn't realize till I was a mother myself in counseling in my thirties that they that she lived with depression for a very long time. Yes, and read the Bible but was very closed and not wanting anyone to know that they were troubled. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe her sisters or somebody, but everybody held it. Yes. That's not shared it. And then it, it manifests within us in so many ways and just observing that and coming to not coming to an understanding about till I was in my thirties, like, generational trauma is real like I'm t- <laughs> it's it's when oh disrupting the silence 
this is what it's about. We're to not even just to, yes, to talk about it. And then to ask the question, why do we believe it? And where did it come from? And that's what I had to do. Why do I believe this? Who told me this? And I didn't have anything else to do because I'm lying in, in my bed with a, recovering from brain aneurysm. And that's all that I could do. And I didn't realize that I don't believe that. No, I can't believe that. So if we have a headache, you take a, take a pill, then 30 minutes, you should feel better. Last night I had a cold. I felt it in my body. I knew what it felt like. I knew that I needed some Alka-Seltzer to help me, you know, get this cold out of my body. We take medication for what we needed, but not for our head and not for our body. Mm -hmm. And trauma, what I had to learn, and I've spent time, you know, and people's like, well, how, you know, again, questioning me, you know, because this is not, I tell people, I'm not a doctor, not a pastor. I am Odell Montgomery Cooper, lived experience, just sharing my story, transparent and honest with people that look like me. And it's happened in most of our families, most of our culture regardless of our education, regardless of our profession or our zip code. People tend to think that because it happened to us, they must have lived in the hood. They must have lived in the ghetto. And you've got to, I had to question, why do I believe this? Where did my grandmother get this from? Well, she must have gotten it from her mother and her father. Oh, they were slaves slave mentality and people don't like that oh no oh no people don't like to well first of all because my issue is people don't even relate to the fact that their ancestors were slaves it's like that mentality the the way we were brought here and how we were treated for for the, not just the 400 years but beyond that this, the levels of it. it, it trickles down. Yeah, yes, it, it does. It's, you talk about the diaspora and that's why I, I, I love communicating with you. You know, we have to know our history. We have to know what we're told. And we, as a generation, have the responsibility, have the control of breaking generational trauma because we don't tell our children about our medical life. My mother, my parents never told me about their medical. This is grown folks business. <laughs> you okay. know, I'm not going to tell you this. And I had to break the silence. And I tell my daughter medically what's going on with me. And we have a pact. We never lie about our health. Good, bad, or indifferent. I want to know the truth. Talk to me. Don't be afraid to share because we have to know. And I had to tell her alcoholism is hereditary and I needed her to know that and I needed her to know which I didn't know that brain aneurysm is hereditary trauma is hereditary I didn't know that wow I didn't know that wow and so folks are like well no am I professing to be an expert no um, someone has said, oh, oh, Reverend Odell, you've got to go get your clinical degree. You have to go and have to validate yourself in this space. I can't because I can't remember. <laughs> but Odell, the fact that the, 
the you did the book the play then the book and now the workshops it's an evolution of that yes and and we are people are also quick to want to get to give you the answer for or, or get to the answer where you're at mm-hmm. you know i cared for which was traumatizing for me, caring for my mother as I see her decline in dementia. Mm. So I saw it in my grandparents, her parents, right? And, and assisting with the care of her mother as I, and I saw that. So when things started happening with my mother, I say to my brothers, this is happening. Oh, no, no, no. You know, they want to fix it. They want to... Mm-hmm buy something or do something. And it's not, no, I'm letting you know what's happening. Yes. And ha- like whenever someone in, in that I know family or non-family, everybody dies. The first thing I say is please get some grief counseling, whether you were expecting the death or not. Yes. If you were caring for that person, um, and, and the evolution of what you've done with interruptions and you, like you said, disrupting the silence and people probably say disrupting silence. Yes. <laughs> yes. I am disrupting the silence. And, you know, it was difficult getting funding for this because originally this was going to be a stage play and it was going to be Epigamos and the pandemic hit and the stage disappeared. And then I had to figure out how do I do this online? And I didn't know. I had to Kevin, you know, how do we do this online? And I'm having conversation, talking to Rev Kev. And it's like, how do we do this? He says, he knew it. He said, you do it like this, like this, like that. But meanwhile, I'm having conversations to promote the now the online production. And all I could say was, it's going to be virtual. And someone said, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know yet. I'm learning. And at my age, at 50, as they say, you can't teach old dogs new tricks. That is not true. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was an old dog and I had to learn new tricks. I had to relearn how to speak, how to write, how to learn everything all over again. I forgot portions of the Bible, but I never forgot my faith. Mm. I forgot days and events with my son. Every morning, my daughter and I were still driving. She's She was in a culinary school. And every morning we're driving to work. And I would say, tell me a story about John, because I forgot. Because mm. the brain aneurysm. And I would still see pictures today. And I'm like, I don't remember. And the difficult part with people is they see me, but they expected me, oh, she's fine, but I wasn't fine. What was going on with me, Faye, was going on on the inside. Trauma had exploded, PTSD, anxiety, and, you know, depression. And I'm trying to, I don't know, someone say, hey, let's go to happy hour. Okay. And I'm at the bar having happy hour. Someone said, did you really put that in the book, Rev? Yes. I put it in the book that I became an alcoholic, that I was going to work, functioning, putting the mask on, leaving work, going to drink until I passed out. Somebody would drive me home, 
come home and argue with God. That was my routine for months. And when I finally got to the therapist, I said to her, <clears throat> sat in the chair as a reverend, I said, I need to make sure that I interject my faith and my therapy. <laughs> you know, I said, because there are some things you can answer, but there are other things that only God knows. And she was like, okay. And then as time kept going on, she says, listen, I don't care how much you pray and no disrespect to your faith. You need to stop drinking because you're depressed and you're not going to get any better and you need to take medication and mm -hmm. the drinking and the medication. She says, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And, and how many folks, so many folks like it's, don't realize that because it's like, oh, I got to keep, I got to go on. I got to put this face on. I got to put on this mask. I got to be, because I, I was all that. And, and like you mentioned earlier, it doesn't matter what, what where you are on the financial spectrum of life. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Your zip code does not exempt you from trauma and it's trauma that happens in any shape or form, not just losing a child. It's anything, it's, any type of traumatic, sudden interruption is, can be traumatic on an individual. And not everybody can say, oh, she's got PTSD. Oh, you got PTSD. Oh, you got the blue version. You got the Cadillac version. It has to be diagnosed by a doctor. And that's what we can do. We have to do that. And 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 be in support of each other. Yes. And and also like listen, surrounding yourself with the right folks, because there are folks out here that are not identifying with their own <laughs> yes. trauma. And and they they have an opinion or a, a way. Yes. Um, so how did you come like we we gonna get to the lesson to the the groups that you started now okay. talk a little bit about that talk not a little bit, but tell us about that so we have the book, and there I you know don't know how to sit still, <laughs> so I was having focus groups during the pandemic, and we had them go watch the production, all different ages. Um, gender, nationalities, faith, watch the production, come back and ask me questions. And it didn't matter what the questions were. And I had an intern and we recorded it and we listened to, well, that's a good question. Some we talked about, some we recorded. And then I had a mental health professional and she just did this from the, she's doing this from the grace of her heart. Alice Forrester at Clifford Beards. She mm -hmm. identified at least eight mental health behaviors that she saw throughout the generations that was that were in the play. And we took those questions and we grouped them underneath the categories. Then Reverend Street said, how can I help you? And this is his background. He's a clinician. He's in medical. He's in trauma. He knows this. So he said, how can I help you? And he's been reading the book take this out. No, you can't say this. That's We can't clinically prove this anymore. So you don't want to go in that space because what you're doing is peer-to-peer -peer counseling, peer-to-peer, -peer, not counseling, peer-to-peer -peer conversation 
where you want people just to talk and then to find the next steps for them. You know, whether it's, let's take a look at my marriage, let's take a look at where I live, let's take a look at how I'm treating myself or I'm not treating myself. Let's take a look at, is this job abusive towards me? You know, am I abusive towards me? Take a look at everything. Let's have the conversation. And I also received an email from a Dr. Stephen Southwick. He watched the production, sent me an email and said, great production, loved watching your portrayal of trauma and families. He said, but you missed it. And I said, who is this guy? He said, you missed resiliency. He says, how can I help you talk about it? And when I called Alice Forrester, I said, who's this Stephen Southwick? And she's like, Google him, Odell. And when I Googled him, I'm like, just tell me, you know, who is this guy? He's the best PTSD doctor in the country. He works at Yale University. He has had his entire life and career dedicated to working with veterans and their families to talk about PTSD and trauma. This man was counseling me, Ife, for a month. No charge. Reverend Streets no charge. Alice Forrester, no charge. God sent me people who I didn't have a grant, didn't have a dollar. And even if I had a grant, I couldn't afford their consulting fee. Said, how can I help you help people? And we used to workshops are just like this conversations. Let's talk about it. Let's talk. And I'm doing tonight, this week, I start my first train-to-trainer program, oh, and I'm wow. training people how to use the workbook and how to use the workbook, read the book, and have conversations in small groups to get people to start talking about it. Mount Airy Baptist Church had a group talk last Friday. Community Baptist is having their group talk on this coming Friday. Christian Tabernacle is on board to have theirs um, Christ Chapel, which is now in Hamden, they're on board. Uh, CTVIP, their trainers are coming. Students from Quinnipiac are going to be in this class because they're going to be social workers. Oh, they're like, train us. God. And some people, and I have two people from out of state, they're like, we want to be able to have these conversations, not just in our faith, but in our community. And people have, and, oh, and, and Harford Seminary has had me as a guest. Yale Divinity has had me as a guest. And to talk about this and the impact that when people put a mirror up to their face and to say, that's me, that's been me, I'm not crazy. No, you're not crazy. It's biological. In this process of training the trainer, especially when you say, um, college students, like Quinnipiac students and um, Divinity School and that, um, because you have, not that they don't, I don't know what the curriculum is, but not that they wouldn't, but um, to have someone that has experienced it and evolved, like like is is sharing and being transparent, it has to be helpful because I really feel like not, not really, but there are times when I feel like there are people coming from the outside yes, into our community that say, I want to make this, this is what's wrong. And I want to make this better. <laughs> yes. 
Everyone wants to solve my problem and you can't solve my problem. There's no quick fix. You know, pray more, Minister Cooper. You're not praying more. You know, you where's your faith? Or there's a whole chapter called Ask Me Another Question because that was my pushback. People, you know, how are you feeling today? And I wasn't feeling good, Ife. It, my heart was heavy. Um, not none of the fact that I was also recovering from being being drunk the night before <laughs> and having depression. And be honest, you know, yes. and having depression, and the two did not work well together. And I was it hurt and it was painful. I didn't understand the anger and the rage that I had for no reason. And people saw me looking like this. And I said, no, I'm sick. Mm, no, we, well, what's the matter? I can't explain it, but I'm sick. And I just pushed back and said, ask me another question. So the problems that people of faith had, and some of us still have, is that how come I can't wake up and be grateful that God woke me up today, but still have a bad day? How come I have to say I'm blessed and highly favored and be okay? How come I have to say, oh, I'm just grateful to be alive just to make you feel better? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't. Yes, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful that God woke me up, but I'm still in pain. So for people of color, people in a faith, my suggestion, my recommendation, this book talk is we have to be able to allow people to be grateful and thankful that they're alive, but still be in a bad space. And acknowledge that it's that, okay. You know, because a lot of times when somebody says, oh, how you doing? It's not space or time no. to tell you how I'm really doing. Because they don't want to know. You really don't want to know. And especially in social situations. Oh, girl, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? You, know, yeah, you, you, don't, don't, you don't care. It's a generic question that people asked, and they really didn't want my answer. And when I gave them my answer, they were shocked. Oh, oh really? are you praying? Right. And it's like, okay, I'm not ready to handle this right now. Let no. me move on. Or say, yeah. oh, don't ask her how she doing. No. You know, and I said, ask me another question. And they didn't have one. And that's when I said, when you're ready for my answer come back. And I'd hang up on folks. And that was a, that was true, hung up. So the work, the trainer trainer is because of the brain aneurysm, I can't do all of the training that's required. So in order to help people, I want to be able to train their leaders, be able to support their organization, whether it's in education, it's social work, it's school, community, faith-based, any center, you know, place we can train your leaders and then you do the training. Your leaders do the training. You know, I, I had a conversation with someone who wanted to roll this out. He says, well, you do the training. I said, no, let me train your leaders because there is a language that in that field that I can't learn. And, and there's, there's a that builds more community in it. Yes. So I'm training the trainers. First week is this week. And then I'm working with another congregation. We just signed the contract this week. And I'm excited uh, with First Cathedral. Uh, they're going to go through the, I, I'm teaching the eight week. 
And then there's an eight week session for the participants to go through every module is 90 minutes. And I'm teaching that and I'm then I'm going to train their leaders how to deliver it. And I will be supporting them with consulting support so that they can launch it. And the trainers that are going through tonight, they go through it and I give them consulting support to make sure they have any questions. Come back to me. Come back to me. Ask me a question. How can I help you? And if I need to co-teach with you, let me co-teach with you. If you need me, I'm here. But I can't carry this by myself. So I have to train others to take this message into our community and into their world and train others. And it's the way you're sharing what you learn a gift. It's actually... And, and it's more a, the pro, more prosperous in, and not in a monetary way, but it's more prosperous for everyone because so many people are silent about this. I want to ask, too, um, when you're doing the training in churches, is it for the leaders of the church, members, who the, they determine? Well, the pastors determine. Um, but one of the things that I've said to them is that this is for me to build your leaders so they can support you. And they're like, oh, you know, Pastor Andal said, I'm in. I, I, I'm <laughs> I, need, in. The <laughs> I need the help. You know, Reverend right. King said, train my leaders. How, how can we get this? Because they know that they need it. First Cathedral said, we need it. You know, how do we help people? Because if you don't deal with this, you know, it's trickles down effect. So it's me training the leaders to support leadership. I've always been gifted at training leaders. So now I'm training, still training and equipping leaders to take this message and to deliver it. But I wanted to make sure that people don't whitewash it, water it down mm -hmm. and to say, oh, you just need to pray more sometimes. Trauma mm -hmm. is not it. I mean, I have read... Um, Dr. Akbar's book. I have read The Body Keeps the Score and all of the, you know, Dr. Bellamy, um, not, her, not her book, but listening to the podcasts and stories. And I've had to knock on doors, find people on LinkedIn and say, I'm Reverend Odell. I am new to mental health because my mama taught me better. And it's like, I'm not in this space. This is not the space you've ever known me to be in but I'm in the mental health space, which we don't like mental health. So I'm in the space of emotional wellness. And I want to introduce myself to you and tell you who I am and what I'm doing. And my role is to disrupt the silence so that people, when they go to their doctor, Ife, they say, doc, I'm not sleeping. And I'm waking up in the middle of the night and it's been night after night and I wake up and I'm irritable, I'm cranky and I'm angry. And it's not just in my head, something is going on. And we need to take a look at what's going on with me. So what do we do? Or I'm drinking too much, doc. <laughs> and I wasn't a drinker and I can't seem to get rid of this or whatever it is, learn that this workshop teaches us the terminology to apply to our everyday behaviors that we've been dismissing all our lives and to put a name to it and to say, you need help. I love the term emotional wellness um, because it, mental health has evolved. 
Because it is mind, body, soul. Yes, it is. Emotional wellness. And when you talk to us about mental health, we don't like it. They're like, I'm not crazy. Well, I was. I, I meant it was something emotional wellness. So it tastes better. If it tastes better, if it, you know, put a little sugar on the medicine to get you to take it. <laughs> if that's what it takes, then that's what I'm doing. And this is our first week. So I'm excited about first week of training this week. Uh, thank you for seeing me. Congratulations. And so thanks for being thank here. Thank you. So my website ask- is launching. The program is launching. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> have, have any um, nonprofit organizations? You said you mentioned churches. Did you mention some nonprofit organizations? Yes, yes. Uh, CTVIP is a part of it. Uh, two nonprofits are in Maryland. They're going to be online because it's virtual. And Quinnipiac, which is, you know, which is a school. And um, this is our first training. So it's, and we've had, I've had actually conversation with a principal at a school because he wanted to roll it out. He had his teaching staff. They was, was going to read it talk about it and how to turn it into a discussion for school um, for teachers to deal with high school. And uh, the teacher has, the principal has moved on to another career. So it has, it's for that population as well. And I had a young man who was in the focus groups. He said, please get people to talk to us about it because they never ask us. So we are having them on our podcast. We're talking about it on the Interruption Podcast. That so we're under the same umbrella with oh, Rev. Kev, <laughs> the Baboa Theaters Studios. So, so yes, it's. Um, so, so we're tell, doing the podcast. When podcast is when the is podcast. Your- it's on. Oh, the pot. We had a new show and it's aired Saturday. So go on, subscribe to the podcast. Interruption disrupting the silence and you know my daughter finally came on and she told her story from a millennial and she told me the hardest part for her was watching me do interruptions and she said I was mad at my mother because she's spending time with my brother and she's not spending time with me Yes, he's dead, but I'm alive. What about me? She said, my mother was not paying attention to me. And that was the hardest thing to hear. She said it to me before. And then when she said it online, I'm like, okay, so do I not cry? Or do I get the tissue and just try to, you know, like hold it? But it's real. It's real because parents, when you go through trauma, we dis connect with relationships. I was living with her, but she was invisible to me because I was in my trauma. Your granddaughter. Yes. And we talk about my granddaughter. So someone has asked me to, and I came to you to extract my granddaughter's story and put it into a book illustrated form to talk about how trauma impacted her at four years old and the impact it had on her going to school. And it, did impact her. And we had to get on that very quickly. My daughter, you know, was, she says it, she owns it now. She says, I was drinking and her job pulled her to the side and said, can't do this. What's going on? But I'm glad we've all had that level of support 
of people that pulled us up and to say, you can't do this. I see where you're headed and not turn their backs on us. And there are some people out there, Ife, where we were, we're turning our back on because we're telling them to pray more or they're still sitting in silence and we can't, we can't do it anymore. And, and I want to encourage folks who, who see this and who will get to get the book, not only get the book, but look at your, go to your podcast. And if you can, if you're one of those churches, get a session in. <laughs> Send your leaders. Send your um, leaders. And it's not just churches. I, you know, it's like there are ed- educators, there are community centers that this place, that this is a good fit for. Um, Chief Higgins and I at um, Yale University, he's interested and I'm going, you know, you know what this looks like going down the road. Um, so I respect people wanting to say, how do we recognize this in our community and have different conversations versus just dismissing them? Because I went through failed relationships, went through loss of jobs, went through friends who, ah, oh, she's still crying? Oh, oh my gosh. I don't, oh. you know, Ooh. really? Come on, fix yourself up, do something and keep it moving. And when I, and you know, one of the things I told my pastor is I regret, I, I blame me, nobody else, that I let my faith, my c- culture call my son's service a celebration of life versus mourning his death. I did not cry at his funeral because I was told to be strong. It's okay, he's in a much better place. That's what we say. And I've said it to people, but Reverend, we know all the words, I've said it in a much better place. You know, God needed another angel, all of that. But Ife, I dismissed every one of them. And I now looked at the pew that I sat in that I didn't cry. And I was at church the other day and yesterday. And I think I'm just going to sit there and just cry. Yes. Because he deserves it. And we deserve to honor losing a loved one. And I told my daughter um, when the doctors told her that I was going to die and to stop praying for me. Oh, Um Oh, because because of the brain aneurysm, they said yeah, stop no, praying. But for said, yeah, well, but I didn't know he told her that they was going to tell me you're not going to die. They said stop praying for her; she's not going to make it. I told her before I went into surgery, pay my bills and go to work because we had bills to pay, <laughs> <laughs> and we had to have that conversation. And she said that hurt her. And one of the things I said to her now, we had to have that conversation. I said, sweetheart. Now, I said, anything happens to me, I said, I don't know if I can curse on your on your podcast. I said, I, I said all the time, Kevin. Okay, I said, don't pay a damn bill. <laughs> take the money, take care of my service, and use the money to get yourself some help. But you better cry at my service because of our relationship. Let don't let go. no one tell me that you're not supposed to cry. And how dare me? as a reverend, tell people not to cry. It's going to be okay. Yes, it's eventually going to be okay, but not when I'm looking at a casket or his ashes at 24, at 17, 
or car accident or suicide. No, we as people of color, we as ministers have to think differently. And we as deacons, people in our faith, we have to be conscious of what we say to people and when we say it. Because much better place, don't cry, is in, and I've heard my pastor from the pulpit say, tells, tells, he tells me, he tells his wife, when I die, you better cry. So if she can cry, why can't somebody else sitting down there? Let us cry. And we have to dismiss the myth and stigmas and disrupting the silence. And this is what I'm doing. And not everybody's going to agree with me, but that's okay. But I have impacted some and some who tasted the medicine have said they've changed. Some people have said, I've gone to counseling now. Mm-hmm. Some people have said, I will no longer say that to people. And that's just what I was thinking because I've lately um, in several over the past months or so, when I've attended funerals, I, I, I've i been thinking, I don't know what to say to anyone only because yeah. when my mother passed, it was so many people saying those cliche things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it was, it was building, like I cared for like that, that, that care. And then afterwards, not having to do that, but that becoming a routine of care for an elder and then having them pass is like, I, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. So, for me to say that to other people, like I, it just made me think about how, what I, what do I say or what I just give a hug. That's it. And just, be like, just be and present. Then, and then revisit folks a week or two after, after the funeral we passed. Da, 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 da. Cause, Cause folks, that's when we need it just to, you don't have to, I've learned you don't have to have the words to say, just be present. You know, my pastor has trained us well, has educated us well. Seminary school has educated me well. But none of that, Ife, helped me. I mean, not not true. It helped me. My faith helped me. But the cliches did not. And I had to learn God differently for myself. So the production is online and I still pitched a pitch that I would love for this to still be on stage and to be able to show interruptions on on stage. I just need a director. So pitch, 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 watch it. If you want to direct interruptions, please contact me. And I would love to be able to tell my granddaughter's story on a play so other kids can see and parents can hear and see what we do that we're not aware of that is traumatizing. Well, thank you. I appreciate the time. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you for having me. And everyone, um, get the book. Oh, where am I? Get the book, Interruptions, Disrupting the Silence. As Get the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. Yes. Look at the play. I am Ife Michelle Gardine, Lit Fest Podcast, signing out. And thank you so much, Odell. Thank you for having me. Thank you.